Imagine bold, naturally aged Tillamook cheddar slices melting over a burger, eating handfuls of thick-cut cheddar shreds straight from the bag, taking a bite out of an irresistibly bold block of extra-sharp cheddar cheese. We know you want to get back to streaming, but wasn't it nice to daydream about cheese for a bit? Tillamook Cheddar. Extraordinary Dairy. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, we'll talk about a cool thing that made the conversations in the TV show Friends funny, and we'll talk about how cicadas got their name and why they are not the same thing as locusts. This first segment is by Elizabeth Stokoe, and I really enjoyed her analysis of how the scriptwriters for the show Friends tweaked our expectations to make things funny. Just remember that when I say I, that's her. I have not personally done research on this topic. The Friends reunion has undoubtedly been one of the biggest TV events of the year so far. Over its 10-year series, the sitcom about a group of 20 and 30-somethings in New York had a massive cultural impact. It attracted plenty of scholarly analysis, including critiques of its gender and race politics. Its scripts inspired my own research as a professor of social interaction. Love it or loathe it, and I loved it. One of the striking things about Friends was that much of the humor depended on clever conversational devices, not just set-piece jokes or one-liners. Instead, the scriptwriters seemed to embrace the unexpected in conversation. First, let's think about the conversational rules for a successful invitation. Here's an example. Pat says, what are you up to this evening? And Chris says, nothing much. So Pat says, well, do you want to go to the cinema? And Chris says, okay, great. The design of an invitation and any other action in conversation depends on who we're asking, what kind of relationship we have, what's at stake, and how important the acceptance or rejection is. These sorts of contingencies shape everything we say. In the example I just gave you, Chris responds positively to Pat, doing what conversation analysts call a preferred turn. If an invitation's preferred response is acceptance, the best way to ensure a positive outcome is to lead up to it using a pre-question, like, what are you up to this evening? This lays the groundwork for a possible invitation, depending on Chris's answer. We design what we say to help the person we're talking to avoid having to give negative responses. Breaking these rules is one of the ways that the Friends scriptwriters got audiences laughing from the very beginning. For example, in one scene, Joey asks Phoebe if she'd like to help build furniture. Joey says, hey, Phoebes, you want to help? And Phoebe says, oh, I wish I could, but I don't want to. And the audience erupts in laughter. Saying yes would mean giving the preferred response. 
It would most likely be done immediately without elaboration, and it probably wouldn't be funny. We can tell that Phoebe is going to say no when she says, oh, I wish I could. This looks like it'll be the start of a regular kind of rejection, showing an appreciation of the invitation and giving an excuse before turning it down. But she follows with, I don't want to. Although this does provide an explanation for saying no, it's not the sort of reason generally found in rejections. The usual way to say no is to say that you can't accept the invitation, not that you don't want to accept it. In ordinary conversation, such a turn might start an argument. Earlier in the scene, Ross asks Rachel if she wants to come to help him assemble the furniture. But just before his invitation, Ross asks, So, Rachel, uh, what are you up to tonight? And we can recognize this as leading up to something. It's a pre-invitation. If Rachel's busy, Ross can avoid rejection by not issuing the invitation in the first place. She replies, Well, I was kind of supposed to be heading for Aruba on my honeymoon, so nothing. Now, Rachel could block any forthcoming invitation, but she gives Ross the conversational go-ahead. So Ross goes on, If you don't feel like uh, being alone tonight, Joey and Chandler are coming over to help me put together my my new furniture. But Rachel says, Well, actually, thanks, but I think I'm just going to hang out here tonight. It's It's been a long day. And Ross says, Oh, sure, okay, sure. Now, the invitation can, of course, be accepted or declined, but these aren't equally valued alternatives. Rachel turns down the invitation. It's a dispreferred response. Such responses are more intricate than saying yes. Just look at how many words it took Rachel to say no. Dispreferred responses often occur after a delay. They may start with words such as, well, as Rachel's does. They may contain an appreciation, as Rachel's does, actually thanks. They may also contain explanations or excuses for why the speaker can't produce the preferred response, as Rachel's does. It's been a long day. But because it contains all these features, Rachel said no in the regular way. There's no breach, and it's not funny, and the audience doesn't laugh. Pre-questions and preference were regular devices for the scriptwriters for Friends. For example, in another episode, a new scene starts with Monica asking Phoebe a question. Hey, Phoebes, you know what I'm thinking? And Phoebe says, oh, okay, it's been so long since you've had sex that you're wondering if they've changed it? And the audience laughs. Rather than treat Monica's question as a pre-question leading to some kind of announcement and requiring a go-ahead, like what, Phoebe responds to the form, not the function, of Monica's question, treating it literally as an invitation to guess what she's thinking. The Friends scriptwriter's methods for generating laughter made the usually hidden conventions of language use visible. Creating humor in this way, as well as through misunderstandings and non-sequiturs, was even used by Shakespeare. Whether the humor of Friends will appeal to audiences in another decade or century, we can't say. But leveraging the rules of social interactions is likely to keep us laughing for some time to come. That segment was by Elizabeth Stokoe, a professor of social interaction at Loughborough University. It originally appeared on The Conversation and appears here through a Creative Commons license. If you live in the northeastern United States, you are undoubtedly experiencing a cicada invasion this month. Brood 10, with their chubby black bodies, big red eyes, and translucent wings, are covering the ground from Georgia to New Jersey and as far west as Indiana. 
With that in mind, today we're sharing a few fun facts about the language of cicadas. Number one, cicada is a Latin word meaning tree cricket. The word first appeared in the 14th century and has existed unchanged ever since. However, cicadas aren't actually crickets. Cicadas belong to the insect order Hemoptera. Crickets belong to Orthoptera. Hemoptera is a mashup of the Greek word for same and wing. In other words, the wings of cicada look the same from the base to the tip, clear and lacy all the way down. This is opposed to heteroptera insects, whose wings are leathery at the bottom but quite thin at the top. Number two, so cicadas aren't crickets, but they are also not locusts. Nevertheless, many people call periodical cicadas 17-year locusts or 13-year locusts. In fact, Bob Dylan's song, The Day of the Locusts, was inspired by his hearing cicadas in the grounds outside Princeton University, where he was receiving an honorary degree. Here's part of the song. And the locusts sang off in the distance, yeah, the locusts sang such a sweet melody. Oh, the locusts sang off in the distance, yeah, the locusts sang, and they were singing for me. Those cicadas, which emerged in 1970, were the direct ancestors of the 2021 brood we hear today. They have emerged every 17 years since 1970, appearing in 1987, 2004, and now in 2021. Number three, these periodical cicada belong to the lyrically named genus Magicicada. This pairs the Greek word magos, meaning magician, with the Latin word cicada. According to Greek mythology, cicadas used to be music-loving men. They were so taken up with singing that they forgot to eat and died. To honor them, the muses turned them into insects who would sing continuously without food or drink from the moment of their birth to the moment of their death. Once they died, the cicada men would report back to the muses, letting them know which people on earth have honored the various muses and which have not. And by the way, the genus Magicicada includes seven different species, all with their own delightful names, from Magicicada sependesium to Magicicada cassini. Sependesium means 17. Cassini is simply the name of an ornithologist, John Cassin, whom the species is named after. Number four, in addition to these seven species, there are 148 additional ones. Many of them have evocative names, including the Dog Day Cicada, the Lyric Cicada, the Scissor Grinder Cicada, and the Hieroglyphic Cicada. Number five, when cicada first emerge from their shells, they're the color of pale cream with two black dots on their shoulders. They're soft and vulnerable, and they remain so for several days until their new exoskeleton hardens. This fragile phrase is called the teneral stage of cicada development, from the Latin word tenon, meaning soft. The area where the black spots appear is called the pronotum, that's pro, meaning before, and notum, meaning back. In other words, the spots appear behind the head and before the back. These spots, by the way, contain a pigment that slowly spreads through the body of the cicada as it hardens. Thus, by the time it's crunchy, it also has a dark brownish black. Number six, the cicadas emerging in 2021 are part of brood 10, written as brood X. You see, different batches of cicadas are labeled using Roman numerals. In Roman numerals, X means 10, and we're on brood 10 this year. 
This one is also known as the Great Eastern Brood, even though it's neither the easternmost nor the largest of the broods. That distinction belongs to Brood 2, the East Coast Brood, set to emerge again in 2030. And number seven, our final fact for the day, is this. Groups of male cicadas clustered together are called choruses. That's because they group together in bunches and sing, alternating their songs of courtship with short flights until they attract interested females. The word chorus, of course, goes all the way back to ancient Greek, where it referred to a band of singers and dancers who would perform in dramas and religious festivals. In short, whether or not cicadas really used to be human men, they certainly perform a chorus for us on these hot summer nights, and Brood 10 will do so every 17 years. That segment was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com or on Twitter as dragonflyedit. Finally, I have a familect story from Allison. Hi, Grammar Girl. This is Allison from Pasadena. I love your show. I'm calling with a familect story. My dad is from Israel, so English words don't always jump to his mind right away. So he always calls what I've only recently come to know as a hot water bottle. He always calls it a dog replacement and because he uses the dogs to warm himself, his chest. So um, one time recently when he was waiting for me to boil the water for the dog replacement, he asked for a dog replacement replacement, which is actually just a dog. So I thought I'd share. Thanks so much for your show. It's great. Bye. That is so great, Allison. I truly laughed out loud when you said dog replacement the first time. That was so fun. If you want to call with your family word story, you can leave a voicemail at 833-2214-GIRL, and I might play it on the show. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find articles that go with each podcast segment at my website, quickanddirtytips.com. And if you're looking for a graduation gift for a student who'll be heading off to college, check out my book, Grammar Girl Presents, The Ultimate Writing Guide for Students. It's a great, comprehensive book, and I promise it'll get a lot of use. Thanks to my producer, Nathan Sams, and that's all. Thanks for listening. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.